was never afraid until you showed up. Welcome back to another episode of The Cast of Us, an untitled HBO The Last of Us After Show. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, we're on episode three, the best episode of this series. Ooh, it's so good. It is so good. I had to say that line off the top because like, I cannot wait to talk about this episode because I think it is one of the best episodes of television uh, I have seen in a very long time uh, up there with... Uh, very specific episodes of TV that I'll reference uh, throughout this. Uh, but welcome to The Cast of Us. This is the show where Eric and I get together each week, right as The uh, Last of Us ends on HBO at 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, breaking down everything we saw in the episode step by step, scene by scene, all the little details, nuances, uh, nods to the video game. Um, everything. We try to go over everything in these episodes. Uh, appreciate everyone who's listened to the first uh, two. Uh, we really appreciate uh, everyone who's reached out and said that they really enjoy what we're doing here. Um, something different. Eric and I usually host two podcasts called the Untitled Movie Podcast and Untitled Movie Reviews, which you guys should go check out, uh, where we kind of cover the entertainment industry and new release films and streaming shows and streaming movies and things like that. Uh, but we're loving this. Uh, Eric has never played The Last of Us. I am obsessed with The Last of Us. Uh, so I think it's kind of fun going through this series uh, with him with those two different perspectives. If this is the first time you're joining us, uh, go back and check out those first couple episodes. Uh, we break down everything that happens in episode one and two. Uh, but if you're new and just want to jump into this episode, we will be spoiling everything from this episode of The Last of Us. We will be kind of telling you the differences between uh, the show and the game. So if you don't want to be spoiled what happened in the game uh, and the differences, you might not want to listen to this, but I don't really spoil like anything huge because it is a fairly faithful adaptation, although this episode is very different than what happens in the game. I think that's everything out of the way. Um, this episode was directed by Peter Hoare, uh, uh, written by Craig Mazin. Um, and Eric, yeah, right off the top, we can talk about how we felt about this episode. Uh, I hope everyone's on the same page because like when I first saw this episode, um, it was so unexpected to me. Um, it floored me. Uh, I was sobbing at certain moments. Uh, I thought it was one of the most beautiful and romantic, uh, love stories I have seen on in any medium in a very long time. Um, and I think, you know, being such a fan of the game and knowing Bill and Frank's story uh, from the video game, uh, this was, I think, so unexpected to me because it is so different than what they did in the game. It's essentially like the the core idea is is similar there with how Bill is in the game and 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 you know and Frank's story told tangentially through environmental storytelling and hints of of what happened and very explicitly at one moment when you you really only see Frank's uh, dead body in the game and it is way more depressing and less optimistic um, in the game because of how Bill is just a grumpy asshole in the game so. I was so taken aback of how they elevated Bill and Frank's story and and kind of made it into this beautiful love story that both kind of uh, is singular in that you could essentially just watch this episode. You might be confused at the Joel and Ellie stuff at the beginning and the end, uh, but that flashback and that told through three, four year increments of Bill and Frank's love story through the apocalypse, I think is is so singular, so beautiful, but then also 
adds to Joel and Ellie's story and is so important to Joel and Ellie and their characters uh, that I think is is so perfect where and it can only be done in television. It can't be done in a video game, right? Like the way that this is handled in an extended kind of flashback with two characters we're just meeting for the first time and kind of on episode three, ripping us away from your two protagonists for almost an entire hour, an entire episode, uh, I think is really ballsy and, and something you couldn't do in the game because you are playing as Joel in the game. You can't have an extended cutscene to kind of like develop Bill and Frank's relationship and their character. It has to be like, no, Joel and Ellie meet Bill and their story is told through that singular kind of viewpoint of of perspective of Joel uh, and Ellie. So I just thought this was so wonderfully done. I sobbed both times I watched it. Uh, I sobbed with my wife the second time, and we had such a beautiful conversation afterwards where she thought it was also one of the most beautiful episodes of television she's ever seen. And that like, um, I can't wait to get into it step by step because I just think it is it is so excellent. It reminded me of those like top episodes of television that I remind from my favorite series of like the constant from lost. If ever, anyone was a fan of lost, which is like uh penny and Desmond's story and lost. That is just like these singular episodes of television Watchmen episode. Is it eight of Watchmen uh, where, you know, the episode I'm talking yeah, about yeah, with, with yeah, um, yeah, Abdul Mateen, the second and two, Regina King, where they're having yeah. that kind of, out of time kind of yeah that that meet cute that becomes the beginning yeah. of their relationship right and then also like you're learning more about them as people and not necessarily advancing the plot yeah and i i hate being super hyperbolic but i think this is one of those episodes that will stand the test of time and be looked upon as like one of the the great episodes of television and i i really believe that i think nick offerman um and Murray Bartlett are sensational in this thing. And I think it is one of the best representations of like, you know, again, I've never seen every, you know, gay love story, but I think on like mainstream television, um, you know, I think this was such a wonderful thing to, to witness and watch. And I think it's like depressing and loving and, and just everything. And I can't say enough good things about this episode. So I just wanted to kick it off with that. Eric, over to you. Yeah. Uh, who would have thought that a video game adaptation could be this romantic? Like it truly is um, just a standout episode in character development and spending time with people you haven't had a chance yet, but you've heard referenced in the past two episodes, uh, Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett's compassionate performances find humanity in the face of horror. And what it does is it reminds you that there are these little pockets of, of you know, people surviving, but also finding a grace note in their lives and, 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 you know, kind of reinventing themselves in a way. And you see that in this episode so beautifully done. And as a side story, the way it kind of transitions into that is, is really um, fascinating. And when you see how, you know, a life shared with somebody over a course of time, it's, it's, it's a complex thing because there's a lot of give and take. And, you know, sometimes someone's more maybe emotionally advanced than the other person and the other person might not have that experience. And we see those things as this story progresses between these two men. And again, like 
nobody's one thing and and it's not stereotyping in a way that you would expect it to like nobody's defined as just one you know trait or character uh, sort of ideology especially with bill you know with nick offerman's character you see a really fascinating very complicated person and not just simply uh, a doomsday prepper survivalist as he says he is you know you you see somebody who has been repressing a lot and has gone through so much and finally opening himself up. There's a line that Marie Bartlett- It takes the apocalypse for him to finally yeah. open up and be his true self. There's right? a line that, that, that Frank has, you know, where he says, you know, paying attention to things, it's how we show love in this little kind of fight between them as when they, they've been a couple for about three years. It, it's such a perfect line to sum up how Frank- sees bill and how you know bill becomes a better person because of frank and you know again like it's just the beauty of that and you know not being afraid to shy away from the sexuality and the romance of it and you know the Mm -hmm. the bodies and the shapes and the hair that was something i was really impressed by and it, it, it almost sounds like i'm joking about that but like seeing chest hair in like and two burly kinda, gay men too yeah like just like it's not yeah i thought it was really kind of you know fantastic it's a it's it's, um, a, it's a great episode and it's one of those things where it's like the, the the writing and the direction is there but it's really those two performances and the chemistry that they have and the life that they build for themselves and you and, yeah. and again like again you could say like oh this is almost like a weirdly kind of like an extended version of up or something within, you know, the sure. last of us in a yeah. way where like it does you get a feel full like, life. you know, show shout out to Tim Gettys. Cause I listened to their uh, reaction to episode one, uh, the kind of funnies reaction to episode one. And he brought up Pixar actually in the, in that he's like, it felt like even that opening sequence with Sarah felt like a really depressing Pixar short. So it's funny that you also bring that up in this yeah. because like, there is some of that Pixar storytelling in this, like whether, you know, with Up and Wally, even to an extent with the post-apocalyptic stuff. But like, um, yeah, man. And just like the whole thing summed up in that last letter that that Bill uh writes to Joel. And 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 you can see that they didn't necessarily get along, but they they did like each other and they respected each other, and basically they learned from one another. And I think that last letter that uh, Bill writes to to Joel will really impact his journey moving forward, but we will get there. Uh, we're going to go down step by step, uh, beat by beat. This might be a, a beefy, burly one, but like it's going to... Plaid daddies uh, another- forever. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be a long one because I feel like it's another feature length episode of this 76 show. Right? Seventy six minutes. Like episode- I have I've have written down, yeah. and we should also say that we don't know as as we're recording this. You, yeah. the people who are listening to this, know what the name of the episode is. You know, yeah. so I don't know if the episode titles are super important. They don't like start on the episode, but uh, usually we like to say what the episode is titled. We don't have that yet because we are recording this uh, in advance. Um, good point, Eric. Um, but yeah, man, like I feel like just quickly before we start that recap, like this episode specifically showed me why television was the perfect way of adapting this story and also showed me that like it can do something that is completely different than the game, yet it feels so authentically last of us and feels like it is so faithful to the story while it's completely different 
than what happens. And, you know, in, in the game, like I mentioned, you meet Bill. Bill is alive in the game, right? And Bill is just a curmudgeon kind of asshole. And uh, to Ellie, to Joel, for the most part, you can tell Joel and him still respect each other. But like Bill is still that survivalist. I'm alone. I set up traps around this whole town. I'll help you, but leave me the fuck alone kind of guy. So there's no growth in the game. So I love that they give so much depth and growth to that character and make it. It goes back to that original question, Eric, that you asked me that is this an optimistic story? Or is this kind of a cynical story uh, or view of this world? And I think these changes show that it is trying to be more optimistic than cynical. And like that whole thing of like, what matters in this world other than the people that you love? Because like nothing really matters other than the people that help you get through it and like help you be your true self and help you you know, and I think that's going to be such an important kind of through line. And I think that that, that change, that little change, which is a big change in this episode, I think, um, it, it basically just shows me that like it, it, they can improve elements on the game, even though the game was so excellent. Like, I think this was such a better choice than what they made with Bill in that original game makes it him such a better character than just this kind of guy you that helps you get a car battery in the game, right? That's just like, oh, that guy was kind of a jerk, but he helped us. And then like this gives so much more to it, adds to Joel and Ellie's story, adds to the world, shows you what other people are going through. And I think just really hammers down that kind of what the theme of this entire show is going to be, which is a little bit more optimistic, even though while still being a little depressing and cynical. So uh, I think it's so good. Um, Let's get into the breakdown. So the episode starts uh, no cold open this time. We just jump right into the credits uh, of The Last of Us, which again, I will never skip. And I think you should never skip TV credits, okay? Maybe sometimes like if you, you know, whatever, you're binging something and you, you know, the, the credits aren't great, but HBO openings, you can never skip. They're so good. Uh, the episode starts with Joel uh, by a river. Uh, he's kind of soothing his knuckles in the water. Um, and I kind of interpreted this as sign of kind of his like makeshift little funeral for Tess because Tess did pass at the very end of the last episode. So Joel's taking kind of a moment to himself by the water. You see him stacking some rocks, which almost to me seems like a burial or a, or a tombstone. Um, so like it's very there's no dialogue um nothing it's just kind of joel taking a moment to himself but i kind of interpreted that as like you know tess had just passed the night before um and and he's kind of taking a moment to honor her silently um eric again stop me at any point i'm gonna keep going though yeah so, so this this takes place uh 10 miles west of boston uh, there's, boston. A, there's a so graphic that comes up a title yes thank you so they did uh they have left boston so we know that they've traveled quite a bit um since that moment where tess sacrifices herself so it's it's probably been a day or so maybe and they probably haven't talked much just based on what happened so uh Joel then, um, you know, comes back to Ellie and has kind of a little bit of a tense conversation with her, um, where Ellie kind of goes to him being like, look, man, like I didn't want to be in this situation either. Like I didn't ask for this. Like I, I was put into this. People saw that I, I wasn't infected. 
and like I'm they gave me to you you made the choice like it's not my fault that Tess died like it's it's not my fault that this shit is happening like I'm like you I don't want to be doing this either but like I feel like we kind of have to um that's kind of what I took out of that conversation yeah don't put the blame on me for something that I have not that I'm not responsible for because it clearly does seem like Joel is a guy that wants to find some you know to put blame, blame on someone, yeah. not for just Tess, but just even like the way he killed that one federal officer again. Like yeah. he's, it's like, he's trying to, you know, take that anger and that pain that he has and place it on someone or something, you know, in the moment or continue to dwell on it. And I think another important little thing in that moment, it's just a very small thing, but he gives, um, ellie some of the beef jerky or the jerky i don't know if it's beef it's probably not beef but whatever the jerky is and i think that kind of signifies that also because there's been some time between boston and and where they are now that maybe ellie's run out of food that was given or supplied to her from marlene and the fireflies yeah good point um so then that conversation ends and joel kind of realizes that he's maybe being a little bit too cruel towards ellie so he goes okay we gotta hike to bill and frank's that's where i'm gonna bring you five um, hour hike i was like f- no thank yeah, you i would not hike. survive yeah. this <laughs> <laughs> i um yeah it's a lot of walking eh? especially again when you especially you take you take those things for granted where like a car or a plane yeah. or like a again horse. like a hike is nice but like it's scenic it's pleasurable five hours of walking in order to survive. when everything's trying to kill you yeah. yeah when everything is trying to kill you humans infected everyone so like that does sound like a, a miserable thing and i think a little bit of a nod to the to the video game as well of all the exploration and stuff like that so um they basically start this walk uh ellie is obviously uh, a little bit more talkative than Joel. Uh, she asks Joel about his scar. She like Ellie, very curious about. Want to know how I got right? those like, scars? Always, yeah, always asking questions about Joel's history or different things that she sees in the world. And again, I just love that kind of innocence and that like playfulness that they give Ellie. So even like asking about the scar on his face and being like, where'd you get that? Who shot you? Like, um, did you get the other guy? Like did like all, all this kind of thing. And he, cause he says someone, he got shot essentially, or just grazed him. Um, and, uh, I just like that little interaction of them walking and you start to see this kind of like Joel, not wanting to open up, uh, but still kind of telling her little details. But he's, he's a little bit more forthcoming or yeah. he's not, he's not machismo in that way that it's like well i got him or something like that like he actually says well i missed and like you know he like i and i didn't shoot the person that that did this to me and and you know that obviously from seeing yeah what happened so like there is something there where you, you know like even though he might not be telling her specifically the personal details of what happened he's still not kind of like trying to play up that he's this tough guy he just is yeah who he is like he is a stoic strong silent type and and this little walk and this little interaction also does have a very western vibe to it where they're in the middle of nowhere on kind of a dusty trail kind of walking and talking and 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 again you know this is also important because there's conversation about you know how the outbreak happened and going back to episode two you know joel talks is that about, when they have this conversation or is, or is it, it, or is it after the after the, the Oh, maybe it's afterwards. It might maybe see I'm when they see the plane or something. Or no, maybe it is. I or thought maybe it's I had after it the, down the, a little the, bit later. I think it's after the, the farms. 
Yeah. So they go yeah. to Cumberland Farm. So that after this, yeah, we're almost there, Eric. But yeah, yeah, I like that conversation. We'll get there in a sec. But uh, they go to Cumberland Farms, which is seems like a kind of a farmer's market type gas station store uh, where Joel has uh, some equipment and guns that he's stashed there years before. Um, what I love here is the first thing Ellie notices is the Mortal Kombat 2 arcade cabinet, <laughs> which is awesome. Like, so... Uh, which people who've played the game will know what it's referencing in the video game. Uh, there's an arcade cabinet that is uh, basically a fake version, like a fighting game. It's not Mortal Kombat in the video games, um, but it makes sense because Warner Brothers uh, does own Mortal Kombat. So I think it's interesting which owns HBO. So them allowing them to use Mortal Kombat. It's like what I mentioned about in our review and some things that we've talked about where it's just those little things, that actual product placement kind of stuff that grounds you in the real world, right? Like where in the video game, you're in the video game world, kind of. You're in the Uncharted universe or you're in the Last of Us universe. You're not in the real world. But in this show, those little things of like changing that video game to being a fake video game um, that Ellie plays or knows about in, in the original story to Mortal Kombat 2, I think it is so fun. And her referencing Melina and just, again, that childlike, like innocence and, and, and curiosity and just excitement about Mortal Kombat, this game that she is a, a game from the, you know, the nineties that she found this arcade cabinet, um, and, and has played before. And she said her friend and her played it and that she knows Melina and you spit out her bones during the fatality and stuff like that. Like I thought it was such a great, uh, a great moment. And I just love seeing, you know, those little things that put you in our world. And probably um, a good to kind of keep yeah. that in, in mind maybe for yeah. down the road. Um, and, and, and again, like I think there is a self-aware bit of humor there where like, you know, a, a video game adaptation that also features a video game reference that is an actual video game within this world that has been adapted. <laughs> that has been adapted by. Does the, the Mortal Kombat movie exist in this? Because it was two thousand three, so both yeah. Mortal Kombat movies. I'd, did I'd like out. to think so. This um, is also the best video. This is also the best Mortal Kombat adaptation ever. Um, sure. <laughs> what's also just funny about that is just considering, like, you know, where this kind of world is, like. It, this is the comparison I had to the Marvel stuff where it's almost like Marvel movies now, because we're in what phase four going into to, to phase five, five yeah. you know, Marvel movies are also starting to mention a reference DC in a way, you know, like they're, they're mentioning Batman and Superman and things like that. So it's almost like it, this is that version for video, video games game referencing movie. video games. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do like that. Or a video game series. Um, pardon me. And it's not a Sony property. It's not like it's interesting that they went with Mortal Kombat, which is an iconic, obviously, video game franchise. But you'd think, you know, Sony might go, well, let's put a PlayStation thing in there. Right. But like they, they re really didn't have old arcade cabinets at 2003. You would have had maybe the PlayStation 2 was out uh, at that point. Yeah. Uh, sorry, was. guys. I'm yeah. blanking. Yeah, I'm blanking. But I think PlayStation 2 would have been out at that point, which we you know maybe pops up at some point but i mean realistically uh, so anyways, super mario brothers would have been perfect for this because you could yeah. reference toad being fungus sure you know <laughs> yeah that movie would have came come out too so yeah uh so anyways joel uh, tries to look for his stash and he forgets where he put it because it was probably a decade before or more um so he we know that joel knows this path because he's taken it 
he he knows Bill and Frank, uh, basically, because Ellie asks him, have you gone this way much before? Uh, Ellie explores the rest of the store. She finds a kind of um, a basement area. Can that I mention been... something quickly? Go ahead. I have yeah, something please, written yeah. here. So I think Joel not being able to find where it is right away is another piece of, of writing and character development that works really well, not just because it's been, he says it's been a couple of years since I've been here, but usually in adaptations not just video game adaptations but action like even like bond movies you you have the character you know find something or enter a situation and they know exactly where everything is automatically and it's like they've been there a hundred times even though maybe they've only been there a couple of times and i like that it shows that joel as an anti-hero or a hero however you want to kind of frame him you know, isn't perfect. And I feel like when you watch him kind of zero in on where he's looking to find this stash, it's like, again, like he's, he's, he's a human being, you know, like he's not yeah. going to be able to locate oh, something like he didn't right know away. He would, yeah. 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 Like he, he put something there, but he's like, where the fuck did I put it? Like, it's just like you losing your keys, right. Or something yes. like that. Or like your wallet or, or your phone. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, it's a very yeah. human like thing where, where he, you're not a superhero, right? Or you're not a Bond, you're not James Bond, where it's like you enter a room or, or even in the Bourne movies where it's like you know where everything right is right away because the character is so, you know, sure of themselves but also has like a, you know, photographic memory of everything. Yeah, no, I, I definitely love that as well. So Ellie um, goes into this basement area. She opens up, uh, she jumps down, which I thought was ballsy because I was like, you don't know how to get back up. There's no ladder or anything. And the joke you didn't comes know that trash too. can was there um is there anything the, dangerous back there just you. oh yeah, yeah oh it's funnier than, just you yeah getting funnier on the second time <laughs> yeah yeah that is good uh but ellie when she's in this basement area she finds a pack of uh tampons and pearl. she goes yes fuck yeah score yeah uh uh yeah uh pearl tampons and then takes those uh she hears a noise she turns and there is a, an infected person buried under some rubble um, so not a threat to her per se, but she is inquisitive and curious about it. So she walks over, uh, to the infected and, um, kind of stares at it and points her knife at its face kind of thing. And then she cuts open right above the, the eyebrow just to kind of like, I don't know, I guess her curiosity going like, what, uh, what does this affect it at all or anything? And I think you also see some of the fungus grow out of that wound. Like we saw, in the Jakarta sequence when uh, cutting open the wound on the ankle. And then uh, basically she stabs it in, in the head, killing it, uh, putting it out of its misery, which shows you some, I don't know. Maybe, I, I kind of felt like there you, was a bit of resentment and um, disgust yeah. when she did that. Because I think it's maybe a little bit of both. I don't there, know. There's that, there's a thing of where, where the cure, I think the curiosity is the beginning of it, but I think yeah. when she ultimately kills it, she remembers, it like Oh, well, you know, these things killed Tess, you know? And so yeah. like, and this also, and other people in her yeah. life. Right. So, yeah. So like, I definitely, that's a great point too, Eric. Like I, I, I do think, yeah, it is probably more that more anger than it is. That's actually a great point. Okay. I, I'm going to stop myself. But I do, I do think there is a curiosity like, where you have something that's, pin down and can't hurt you and you want to take so a you can go up in it of, yeah because you've never been able to do that before and right? she is a teen right so like they're, they're when you're younger you are more curious of the of the world around you and 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 she hasn't been exposed to 
the dangers in the same way that Joel has, where Joel wouldn't think twice, he would just shoot it or just leave it as it is because he would be maybe afraid that it would, you know, again, alert the Pop other fungus or, or something, yeah, or, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, yeah I, I think there's a little bit of that. And I think like, ultimately it's kind of, there's like, some oh, anger there for sure. Yeah. yeah. And again, Joel, yeah, which I like think Joel is... being angry about his daughter's death kind of feels like it's like, we're seeing that in Ellie, you know, and maybe that's oh, absolutely, something yeah. as well. Where like, you know, they're, Craig they're... Mazin even talks about that in that first episode, the the behind the scenes before the episode, he more explicitly like talks about that Ellie sees that and she, you know, she doesn't get scared like Sarah does in the first episode. She kind of says like, "Fuck these things!" Like, yeah, I want to like kill them or kill bad people, especially too with the uh, um, the guy who is going to kind of probably kill her because she's infected in air quotes. Uh, I love that. So then I thought the practical makeup again, I'll, I'll hammer that, you know, home each episode. I think that's it. They actually put people with makeup on, which I think is cool. Cause you could have easily just gone the CG route in, in for all of these infected, but it makes sense of them being real people and things growing out of your skin that you put, makeup on someone to make it look like that stuff's growing out of them um so joel does uh ellie goes back upstairs joel does find his stuff uh he stashes his uh his automatic weapon his his machine gun um he stashes it because he's like there's barely any ammo for this thing why carry this thing around and ellie once again goes like well you could give it to me like asking for a gun so i feel like that's still showing that she wants to kill these things or kill or protect in herself and, and and stuff like that as well uh so he stashes that takes some of the supplies um and then they leave this uh this farm this uh gas station kind of thing so then they continue walking and I believe this is where they get to the crashed airplane. Um, so they're walking down and then Ellie sees uh, uh, the remains of an airplane that's crashed and she goes, whoa. And like, um, again, her curiosity, I think, is a big thing where everything she sees, she wants to learn more about the world that came before her, as well as other things of like, uh, she always wants to learn about something and doesn't seem like she's afraid of anything, which I think is is great for her character. So she asked Joel, like, did you ever fly in one of those things? And he's like, yeah, once or twice. And then uh, is kind of jealous that he got to experience that. And 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 this is where I think the conversation comes up that. Yeah. Uh, and then Joel also happened. mentions like, oh, well, you know, like it, it was it wasn't as, um, you know, exciting as you're, you're making it yeah, out. You get a be. middle seat stuck. Yeah. To, and yeah. you pay for a twelve dollar sandwich and things like that. But but yeah. this is this is the, the, the moment as well that reminded me so much of Cormac McCarthy's The Road. It, and I've talked about yeah. this scene before, but it's with Viggo Mortensen and Cody Smith McPhee when they're in the bunker and Cody Smith McPhee is watching his father played by Viggo Mortensen put on this blazer and light up a cigarette and and cody smith mcphee's character has grown up in a world that he doesn't he, he hasn't had those experiences those simple things where it's like he's never or, or you know light up a cigarette with you know a a, a lighter and, and like those things are are alien to him and and yeah. mortensen's character says oh you must think i'm from another planet or another world and like that's that moment where it's like you you realize again that ellie is of a generation that never had those experiences. It's like, it's like when we were born and our parents talk about, Oh, well, you know, you're lucky to have, you know, internet and, 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 you know, uh, other things that are just kind of like 
the online world that we are a part of. And I think we grew up at a period where it was starting to transition to be kind of more uh, baked into society or the regular or like yeah. just being introduced. But, you know, like things like even like records, right? Like records now have come back, but like, you know, we were at a point where these things CD- that were foreign to us because they we never really had them part of our childhood and stuff yeah. like that. But imagine that of like you never experienced a car or an airplane or like anything like that because you grew up in this world. Like Mortal Kombat even would have blown her fucking mind. It's like a it's a game from the 1990s. But imagine a kid who's never you know any movie that she's probably seen if she was able to see a movie. Mortal um, Kombat the movie. Yeah, like would have blown her goddamn mind. So like seeing this airplane and being like, you flew in one of those things? And like Joel's like, it wasn't so great. But to her, she's like, like, it's like flying to space, I think she said, or something like that. Or no, maybe that's later in the episode when they get in the car. But uh, we'll get to that point. So she talks about, um, he asks, you know, how... She asks about Outbreak Day, essentially, and how this started. Um, And then Joel kind of explains, uh, you know... They didn't teach uh, that there's a line about <laughs> yeah and he's like yeah they didn't tell us how our shitty government failed to prevent a pandemic which i think is like <laughs> such a great line for what we're going Shots through fired. right now like it's such a perfect line of dialogue that hits so close to home right now like and it's delivered in such a way that like i had an auto like nevis and i had an audible laugh watching it um, just it's delivered so perfectly. So then Joel kind of explains that, um, you know, which was hinted at in the Jakarta sequence in the second episode that it started in a flour and sugar factory. And basically because Ellie goes like, how did so many people get infected so quickly? Like, like where did it start essentially? Right. Like it's like, Pancakes, who was patient man. zero? Like, yeah. Who was patient zero? Like, where did it, where did it start? So Joel says like, he learned about like on basically Thursday, it got into the food, it got into the flour, it got into the sugar. And he says like how it was in the world before there are certain products that, you know, flour and sugar was in everything, right? Like flour and sugar is basically in every food product sent to every country around the world. So this, this fungus got, was able to mutate and able to live because of the global warming stuff we find out in that cert- first scene, although Joel doesn't necessarily mention that part, but he's like, it was able to survive in the flour and the, and the sugar. And he's like, it got into things like pancake mix. It got into things like that, where it went over to everywhere. And then within, he's like Thursday night, it went out to stores Friday morning, people or Thursday night, Friday morning, people were eating these things. And then by Friday evening, uh, it infected everyone. And then by Monday, everything was gone. I thought that was like, fuck. <laughs> like, yep. uh, and I love the, the nod to the pancake mix again, makes him think about his daughter, Sarah, and the day that she died, because like, uh, he even he was supposed to get pancake mix, I believe, and he didn't, which means he and Sarah and probably Tommy would have all gotten infected if he would have gotten that pancake mix, right? Like, well, it was cake so you, that that she wanted. But are you talking about like when the morning when Sarah's for breakfast. making breakfast? Yes, yeah. She goes for pancake mix, yeah. and it's not there because Joel didn't get any. So like, it's even that little nod makes him think about his daughter, but then also gives you the the context that if they would have had that pancake mix, Joel would have been infected. Sarah would have been infected right away. And like, they would have all been gone. Right. So I think that's even like an interesting nod and just see that he's holding on to that. Like he references pancake mix. Right. Cause he like, he probably thinks about that moment. Well, he's had time um, to think about it. Right. Like you, yeah. again, like you think 20 years of thinking about 
losing your daughter and then also thinking about the science of how the outbreak spreads and and how you know like the simplest thing of like you know like a lot of people are always worried about biological warfare it's like okay if it gets into yeah. the water specifically you know and, and yeah. like things like that so like it's also very nerve-wracking if you're if you're afraid of of, of anything that's like biological because like again like i think part of this show is that it does feel very real to an extent about how you know a disease or an outbreak can spread you know and, and it's more realistic than people probably would give it credit for yeah i think it's trying to really ground it in in reality as much as it can right and like it's still a very you know sci-fi concept but um it's still trying to make it believable of how it could spread how it could you know get to everyone it's trying to give you that context that you didn't really get in the game because in the game you didn't really need it but i feel like in a tv show when you're in the real world um you you kind of want people to go well how did this start and how did this especially you know questions from a young girl who would go like how did we get to this like i've only lived through this like what the fuck happened um so I think that's kind of really interesting. Reminded me of, again, a movie that reminds me a lot of The Last of Us, Logan, um, which, uh, you know, even how every all the mutants got killed off and infected and how the people got in that was through the corn, right? Like corn syrup or something like that. Like, it's uh, always in the corn, even, man. And then, um, you know, Logan, I think, is is inspired by The Last of Us quite a bit. Um, but again, it's that classic Western trope of, you know, the, you know, uh, the, what is it? The wolf and the cub or something, wolf you know, and, this better, and, like, and like yeah, yeah. And cub kind of yep. like things. So, um, so then we get a moment where, uh, Joel goes, Ellie, don't go any further. I don't want you to see what's up there. And she's like, is it going to hurt me? And he's like, well, not physically, it's not going to hurt you. And she's like, well, now I have to see. So she walks up and sees a mass grave. Uh, just with hundreds of people, uh, you know, decomposed and skeletons, basically. Um, and basically, she sees uh, it pans down, and she sees a child's kind of uh, blanket and and uh, clothing. Uh, and then that's when we uh, start to uh, basically that moment of them taking it in is when the story uh, pans back and we're 20 years earlier now. On there is 30. one thing that's really important there as well. Yeah, Please with, go ahead. With, I'm going to go to the bathroom the, with the genocide, the government in, uh, you know, uh, authorized genocide of all yeah, these people. Point, yeah. They talk about, well, Joel talks to Ellie about how during the beginning of the outbreak, the government would round up people from small towns and, you know, some of them would end up going to quarantine zones if there was room. And if there wasn't any room, um, they would be executed and put into mass graves. So just basically a genocide in the beginning of kind of looking at the government as, um, you know, a, a authoritarian government or dictatorship that is changing and um, how, people in situations like this are treated and how individuals, you know, have to survive on their own terms uh, in order to make it day by day. And I think this is a great 
transitional kind of point because you also have you know the the, the article of clothing on uh the woman who is being um put into the back of um this truck and you kind of see this small town which we'll come to know um Very over the well. course <laughs> of this episode over the years as as kind of the gated community that bill and eventually frank make together so um it, it's it's good storytelling it's it's great character work it's a very smart piece of, of, of writing to get from, you know, this main plot, which becomes almost kind of the backseat in a weird way to what this the story to this other story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and turning a, a subplot or a side mission into your, your main focus. Um, so from yeah. there, we're kind of introduced to these people who are being rounded up and 20 years earlier, September 30th. Yeah. Yeah. Back so September 30th, uh, 2003. Yeah. So great, great point, Eric. Like, uh, that was that conversation that happened where, um, if there was no room at a quarantine zone, they would just kill people because he's, and then Ellie's like, why? And then Joel goes like, well, dead people can't get infected, right? So it helps stop the spread. Like if they didn't have room in the quarantine zone, that means like if they left them out there alive, they could be infected and and potentially become a threat. So just a really kind of, again, it reminds me of that first sequence with the young the young child that comes through that they euthanize that um, basically like she has a young child and, and the government just assassinates them all and and throws them into a mass grave because they are trying to protect themselves or or the army guy getting orders to kill sarah and joel sarah yeah yeah exactly that's it dead people can't get infected so we flash back 20 years earlier so september 30th uh 2003 which is uh just about six days after like about a week after outbreak day is outbreak day on the 26th, I believe. Right. Yeah. So four days after it's like the weekend after basically the Monday that Joel said where Monday, everything was gone. Monday. Um, um, so we flash back 20 years earlier. Eric mentions that the, the army is taking away the, the woman and the young child that we see in the mass grave. Uh, you see then, uh, 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 a man who we know as Bill, if you've seen the episode, uh, watching from a bunker, which is in his basement that he's hiding, uh, watching on security cameras, the army kind of take away uh, or Fedra take away um, these people from his neighborhood. Uh, essentially, they're going door to door and making sure that everyone leaves their homes and comes with them, which you know, uh, we learned that Bill is a survivalist. He's a, you know, doesn't well, trust you the see government. Quick cuts um, though is uh, like ammo and, and guns and supplies. Yes. And you, you, so we see you that, make that association uh, yeah. quite quickly through that. And even when he's, yeah, that he's see, a doomsday prepper essentially. Right. Yeah. And when he looks up, you know, at the top of the roof and he says new world order and he gives a line about you know, not trusting. Yeah. He's got the so. don't tread on me kind of thing. All those kind of classic, like, uh, we, we don't trust the government kind of, uh, you know, uh, tropes of the, you know, not necessarily those guys who joined like the militia on January 6th and stuff like that, but like kind of in that reign of being like, I don't fucking trust these guys. So when I see them come, come to kind of gather everyone in my neighborhood, I, I ain't going, I'll try to do this myself. He's like, definitely I, ordering I'm, some Jim Baker doomsday buckets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it doesn't seem like he seems like he's a little bit more elevated than that, but he probably has some for emergency purposes. So he successfully avoids, uh, the Fedra agents that are coming around trying to gather everyone up. Uh, he leaves his bunker. Uh, then we get a montage from I'm coming home to stay by Fleetwood Mac. 
uh, I believe is the song yep. that is used. And then he and goes it's around basically. Fleetwood Mac then, that song doesn't sound like what Fleetwood Mac is now or like what it was in the 70s yeah. because this is this was an yeah. earlier song. So it, it, it kind of almost has this generic kind of 60s rock sound. Yeah. And then when rumors was released and you had a balance of both you know stevie nicks and 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 everybody kind of contributing to the album that's kind of where they found their voice and i wonder if that's kind of like what we're seeing with bill where first impressions of him the music cues are both fleetwood mac and cream with with uh white room yeah and then later on were given songs that would be considered a little bit kind of more, again, I don't mean to sound stereotypical, but feminine or, or more refined yeah. and not what you'd expect for someone like Bill uh, to like or listen to or yeah. play on the piano. Totally. I think the soundtrack plays a huge part in this episode, right? Like we mentioned that in our spoiler free review that like the soundtrack of the show, which is like licensed music comes into play quite a bit in last of us part two. Um, which is, you know, where they ripped AHA's take on me from and, and, and things like that. But uh, it'll be interesting how they also tackle that because the time changes that they've done in the show means that a prominent song they use in part two wouldn't exist yet. So I think that's interesting, but we'll obviously, I'm not going to spoil anything in the future. Um, so uh, Bill goes out and he gets supplies. I love that he goes to an abandoned Home Depot you know, a, a mid two thousands or early two thousands Home Depot. He grabs. Does a he bunch go to that gas station that Joel and Ellie um, were at? He might actually because he because he 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 fills up tanks of gasoline and he puts them into the back of that because um, he gets a truck and a boat right like and he hooks it all up as though he's going around to grab supplies because he also breaks in to uh, the gas station that he that he goes to um, to yeah. basically like I guess unlock the pumps or something like that so yeah I'll, I'll take a look right here but i know he goes to the home depot the power gets shut off uh he yeah uh he basically goes to it does look like he goes to that store eric or it's a gas station it might not be the exact one but he does go to a gas station to fill up a whole bunch of barrels uh with gas and then he immediately goes to the home depot gets a ton of supplies uh, from the Home Depot, the power goes out, like I mentioned. So then he goes on to turn the gas back on uh, at um, basically the, uh, the what do you call it? The gas that you would get at home and stuff. The, there's a term I'm blanking on, but um, he turns uh, the gas back on. Uh, he goes back to his home, where he then uh, you see that he has a generator uh, that he uh, has. So uh, basically, that's why he's getting gas because he can power his home in the in his area. Uh, with a generator um, you see him come back home he's cutting down trees he's kind of building up an area the start of his kind of fortress he's going to be building in this community to kind of keep out uh, the infected and you see him with a tractor going around there's just like a, a nice montage of him like prepping cutting trees down building up fences um, just a dude being a guy setting, yeah you know he gets the yeah dude being a guy uh, just kind of be his you know true self of all this prep that he's done and this paranoid of the government kind of thing. You see him setting up uh, traps and different things with the fences and electrified fence. He has shotgun shells that he's setting up as these blasts. He builds a garden 
um, and a greenhouse. Um, so you can see that he's prepping to kind of be self-sufficient. He has chickens. He um, has a few animals that he's gotten. You see him kind of curing uh, uh, an uh, whether it's a, a cow it a rabbit or, or, a, or a rabbit. Well, there's a bigger animal. I don't know what exactly it would have been, like a lamb maybe or, or something like that. Or, Which that's um, also interesting as well, like in terms of like – what's infected and what's not infected and obviously like yeah. in this episode as well he has a device that like the the fedra um government device that that can detect that stuff but would he yeah. have it that early on and like would he be able to know or, or kind of i mean i guess he would because if you cut open an animal you'd probably see the, the, fungus, see the fungus inside but at like, that point does he know risk? what's happening right like yeah. he's probably seen a few things on the news but he does does he he knows people are getting sick and that you can get sick probably from being bitten by them and things like that. And uh, well, him I mean, wearing the, the gas mask as point. well when he first, yeah, but leaves. he takes it off. Yeah, but I, I almost felt like you mentioned in the last episode, like the spore thing. Almost felt like maybe that was even a nod to the spores as well. Where it absolutely is, yeah. Where yeah. you don't know at first, like you don't know, can I breathe this this in? And maybe he knows a little bit based on the events of that weekend, but because uh, it's been a few days since outbreak day, right? So maybe uh stuff was still running for that weekend right maybe i don't know maybe on a radio he would have heard some stuff and things like that so um basically now bill goes and cooks himself a beautiful dinner um that looks like really delicious <laughs> um uh and then you see him as he's eating he an alarm goes off and he has all these cameras set up and all these uh monitors set up and you can see that he can kind of click to where the uh, the alarm is going to, and he sees an infected, uh, walk up and then one of his traps goes off, which is it triggers a shotgun to go off and, and blast the, uh, infected's, uh, head off essentially, uh, which is very, is what Bill does in the game. So when you go into Bill's town in the game, before you meet him, Joel knows that he's set traps up all over the town. It's more of a condensed city than it is this, like, a. Uh, uh, rural neighborhood kind of thing. Um, it's more densely kind of in a city where the a lot of trip wires and explosions and stuff. But I think that they do a good job showing how Bill's done that um, in this area. And then uh, after that sequence, we flash forward now uh, four years later to 2007. So Bill has been living alone for four years. Uh, he set up this fortress, essentially this gated community that no one's allowed in uh, other than himself, he even set up like a, an electric gate that he has like a, a wireless kind of uh, you can tell he's done a lot of research and, and knows his shit because he set up like a, a whole gate with a code and it's electrified and all this kind of stuff. So um, he's sitting there and then he goes to investigate because he hears an alarm go off and he see, you see he sees a hole on a camera. This is gonna be a long episode, um, yeah. <laughs> but, but good. I'm glad it's a great episode to be a long one. Yeah, so um, he goes and he investigates this thing that he thinks is an infected that's fallen into one of his traps, which is a hole. In that hole, he finds a man who is Murray Bartlett, who we <laughs> man <hole>. know, <laughs> yeah, we know uh, is playing Frank, but at this point, we don't know who he is. But uh, Bill is very skeptical of him. Uh, basically holding his gun to him and we hear from Frank that like, I'm not infected. I'm not infected. I'm just trying to get to Boston. I'm from the Baltimore QZ. Everything's gone to shit there. I'm the only one left of my group. 
uh, I'm trying to get to Boston, uh, which sounds sketchy, especially in this world where you probably can't trust anyone. Um, so, uh, Bill, you can see a little bit of compassion in the sense that he's probably never interacted with another human for four years, um, at this point. And, but he, he does help, uh, this man out of this hole. He gets him a ladder. Uh, but before he, uh, gets out, he, he says, stand back. I'm going to come and check. He has Eric already mentioned one of the Fedra kind of, I don't know how he gets it, but he has probably means he's killed one of them or something like that. Um, uh, he stole one of the Fedra kind of, what would you call that? Like a, it reminds me a little, yeah, yeah. Like, it, like a scanner or something, but it reminds me of like, um, people that have diabetes when they have to check their, their, yeah. um, glucose, uh, levels, glucose. Right? Yeah, that's true. It's like one of those kind of things, but it checks if you're infected or not. We saw it used multiple times in the previous couple episodes. So he checks if Frank is infected. Uh, he is not. So, uh, uh, Bill kind of lets his guard up a little bit and, and, lets him out of the hole and kind of talks to him uh basically wants him to go on his own way uh but then frank goes listen like i'm i'm starving could you please like could you please give me something to eat i haven't eaten in two days which doesn't sound like much but like i i need to eat some food there's a great line from bill going like uh if i give it to you then you're going to tell other people and everyone's going to want to come here for free lunch. He's like, and this is not an Arby's. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> incredible. And then there's a great comeback from Arby's being like, or from Arby's from, from Arby's. <laughs> who says like <laughs> Arby's is like, Hey, um, Frank goes like Arby's was a restaurant that like charged people for food. Where so is the last of us tie in with Arby's? I know they should have done collectible cups. I would have gotten them all. <laughs> like, uh, so Frank essentially promises that he's not going to say anything. Uh, he swears on his life that he, if he just gives him some food, he'll go on his way and he won't tell anyone. Uh, but I think even at this point, you can start to see that Frank, you know, sees the loneliness in Bill and kind of like, you know, can sense that like this guy, like not that he's trying to manipulate him or anything, but that he senses that like, this is a lonely man that might want the company and that like they could probably benefit from helping one another. Yeah. So, uh, stop me at any time, Eric, but like, no, uh, we great. go in, uh, we go into, uh, Bill's home where Frank is having a shower. Um, uh, cause he has hot water. Just five um, more minutes. <laughs> Yeah. So Bill comes in to bring him some clothes. Uh, you can kind of tell the nervousness of Bill uh, at this point, which is, I think, hinting at, you know, what's eventually going to happen. Like he's kind of nervous around Frank and it could be one that he hasn't, you know, interacted with another human being for four years. But you can also tell that there's something going on there, um, whether it's an attraction, which obviously we learn about later. But uh, just by the way, he doesn't want to like go in to you know tell him that he brought him clothes or he doesn't want to see him in the shower kind of thing but frank is just enthusiastic that he has hot water and he's like do you mind if i take five more minutes and he's like no no it's okay uh so then we go down to the dining room after frank is showered bill is cooking dinner uh frank is looking around uh basically looking around bill's house uh he kind of uh, swipes off some dust on the uh mantle and he kind of is looking he's paying around. attention. Um, he's, he's, he's kind of starting to figure out who Bill is and, and, and see him for, for who he is as a person and not just 
you know, make a, a, a quick assessment of somebody just based on that first interaction. So, yeah. Uh, so Bill then pops out of the kitchen, um, and he's kind of like, why are you looking around my house kind of thing? Uh, but then Frank sits down and Bill serves him, uh, rabbit, uh, a nice grilled rabbit, uh, with a, uh, I forget the wine type. I don't know if you wrote I think that it's like, down I, I, here, but, I, I wrote this down, but I don't um, know if it's right, but, um, uh, Bozla, Bozla, uh, B-O-S-U-L-A. Okay, but- I don't know, but it's a nice red wine that yeah. he pours for Frank and Frank realizes like, yeah, with rabbit. And like, I just thought, and then he's like, I know I don't look like the type that would, would know that. And then I love the line from Frank that goes, no, you, you, you do, you do. It's just this, like, uh, this great line that you can tell that Frank is starting to kind of understand Bill. Like no one else has probably understood Bill before. Um, which I think is just those tiny little hints right at the beginning. Uh, you can tell B- Bill is like clearly kind of like nervous around uh, Frank. They're sitting at opposite ends of this large dining table, uh, which that will come back and like Batman eighty nine wreck right? me later. Yeah, like <laughs> a- it- it'll absolutely wreck me later. But like yeah. right now, you're going like, oh, they're sitting so far apart. Bill is so nervous around this guy, um, and uh, they have this dinner where Frank is like, holy. F- fuck what the hell man like the dinner is so good because you could only imagine man like i think of like when i used to go to the cottage when i was younger and i didn't have like mcdonald's for two weeks and then i had mcdonald's when i got home i'm like it's so good i haven't had it in so long and i'm like i could only imagine a guy who has who's probably eaten just absolute garbage for four years right like just whatever scraps you can find rations from the who knows what the hell they're serving in the quarantine zone eric i ate oatmeal for the first time the other day and i was like this has to be what they served in these well places. it's like probably it's the awful. stuff in like um it's the like, matrix where like it's like the yeah, that, that it's just slop slop, where it's right? like if you pretend I mean, it has nutrients it's like, like if, you, if you close your yeah. eyes it tastes like eggs <laughs> Yeah, it's like, no, man. So like you could only imagine like how good this dinner tastes to Frank, right? Like like how great this is. Um, After dinner, Frank, yeah, Frank um, notices the piano in the other room. So he goes like, "Hey, I'll I'll be out of your hair. Like I'll 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 leave in a moment." But I I just noticed that piano over there. He's like, "Is it vintage?" And he's like, "Yeah, it's from 1940, For, right? 48. Or something like that. 40, 48. And then he goes, "Do you know how much these are worth?" And he goes, "Currently nothing." nothing. I was like, it's great. <laughs> that's where it's Nick Offerman comes. In. That's where like yeah. that deadpan delivery comes in for him. Like yeah. that's where Ron it's, Swanson. You know, Swanson. Comes yeah, in. it's currently nothing like it's so perfect like it's so perfect um and then frank wants to play a song on the piano so he pulls out a notebook uh like a musical sheet from under well he's the going piano through bench. it right and he's um, like tales he's of going Hoffman, through this isn't fu- you and then he's like linda ronstant yeah. this is you and it's a greatest hits yeah. music book of of linda ronstant and and i think this is weirdly yeah. also kind of comedic as well before it gets more vulnerable and emotional where you know absolutely you have uh frank playing <laughs> bill's look is like you yeah. are butchering he's, this. he's not good yeah this song that i yeah. care about quite a bit so um which is long because he long goes not time. that song or whatever and yeah long long time by linda ronstand and like basically frank plays the song he's not very good but he you know he's enthusiastic about it he wants he's to, no, he wants uh, to play this song piano playing frog that's for sure 
he just is a little off key and, 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 you know, he's doing his own, he's doing his own interpretation of the song, which is great. Right. Like he, he cares. Um, but then, uh, you know, Frank stops him. He's like, you, you have to stop. He's <laughs> like, you can't do this to this song. And then, uh, Frank goes, well, why don't you do it then? Like, why you show me what you got? So then Frank or Bill then sits down and uh, and plays his rendition of of Long Long Time by Linda Ronstadt, which is again he's not great, but he, it, the passion in that in his version of it, right? Like you it's can very tell soulful. even it, even in the way his you can see his his hands let up on on the keys, right? Like at the end of the song, like he put his heart and soul into his rendition. Um, and then you can see Frank is moved by that. And he goes, uh, who's the girl you're singing about? And I think Frank, even in that moment knows, right. Which he does reveal in a second. Yeah. Um, and then basically he goes, there is no girl. And then he goes, I know. And then like, there's this moment where, um, you know, Frank leans in and, and kisses bill. And it's this, you, this moment you can tell in, in Nick Offerman's performance is so great. Even in this moment of that first kiss is like, he doesn't know whether to like reciprocate, right? Like he doesn't know what to do at that, at that moment. And like the song can be interpreted in many different ways that he's maybe not singing about a specific person or, or anything like that. Or maybe he was, but he could never show that person. But like, um, you know, it, it, they have this beautiful moment where, you know, Frank realizes something in Bill that he's, you know, probably repressed these feelings of being, you know, a gay man uh, for a very, 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 very long time. Uh, and neither of them have seen anyone in four years or been with anyone in at least four years, if not longer, which we find out later. Um, but then after this kiss, uh, he goes, you know, go upstairs and take a shower, uh, basically. And like, basically, I'll meet you upstairs um stop me at any time eric but um, well i i like that there's tears in 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 frank's eyes and 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 even in bill where like there's this emotional connection of of again letting your guard down and being vulnerable and open to somebody else in a way that maybe specifically i think bill hasn't ever had in his life because i i do get the, the the feeling that he is emotionally inept in a certain way where he's either you know had to hide that side of himself from you know, his, his own family and, um, the people that he's living with in the community and just even maybe kind of just cutting that side of himself off completely. And now all of this is kind of opening like a a floodgate and it's happening so quickly and all at once and in a way that probably he would have never had expected before. And so those Mm -hmm. emotions are coming through in this one little moment. And like, again, like it just feels like you kind of understand everything that's going through because that, that he's going through because of the performance and the performances yeah. as, as, as again, people are connecting in a way that maybe they wouldn't have if the apocalypse never happened. So, you know, yeah, the silver what... lining is you found happiness <laughs> in the apocalypse. Yeah, exactly. And you found yourself, right? Like he could have been repressed, like whether maybe that led to him hating the government and hating, you know, not trusting anyone and, or and himself just being even, like, right? Like or himself, loathing himself. Yeah. Loathing himself to the point where he just stayed in and he prepped for something bad to happen because of, uh, of that. And, um, yeah, it's such great storytelling. So um, you go upstairs. Uh, Frank is now uh, naked in bed waiting for Bill. 
Bill comes out of the shower with a towel on. Um, again, still kind of trying to assess the situation. Um, but, I think he's um, also just unsure at this point. Of like yes, what that's what I doing, mean. Yeah, right? like, exactly. Like what this is. And and I think Bill being a man who, you know. He prepped for everything uh, but love. Except for, <laughs> I love that. Um, so then Bill walks over. Frank takes off his towel. Uh, Bill joins Frank in bed. Um, they talk for a moment. Uh, Frank asks Bill if he's ever done this before. And then Bill reveals he's never slept with a man before. Uh, he does say that I slept with a woman, but it was a very, very long time ago. So obviously a, someone who's had an experience with a woman when he was probably a young man and realized, nope, don't like that. Um, uh, or maybe then, he's, he knew that, but he just was trying to conform, right? Because, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point know. too, Eric. Yeah, that's a great point of being like someone who felt like this is what I have to be, even though I... Uh, I'm not that. So that is a great point as well. Um, so they have this tender moment. Um, and I think one of the most sensual and, and romantic and, oh, that, uh, those like, fingers like, running through that chest hair, that Ooh, body boy. hair, man. Yeah. Like, so, uh, you know, uh, Frank basically, uh, tops bill and like, they, you know, it's not an explicit sex scene or anything, but like, I, it's very it tasteful is. and romantic yeah. and sensual and like, it's interesting because like, again, it doesn't shy away from being intimate. And I think that yeah. that's really important because, and, and also again, like these are guys that aren't, you know, um, chiseled bods and, and, you know, shaved and perfection. These are, these are two grown men of a certain age having sex for the first time together. And like, that yeah. is just a very, it's a very, it's literally a very Frank moment. And yeah, um, and it's beautifully done. And, and again, very tasteful and, and, and truthful to, I think just two people that are coming together for the first time. Like, it's not trying to be like, Oh, this is universally easy to, to, you know, we've seen sex scenes before in, 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 film and television and things like that and especially when it comes to like first time for somebody it's always kind of like especially the teenage comedies mm -hmm. it's always kind of like a victory of some sort to be celebrated and also like you know the awkwardness of not being able to to know what to do but frank is a good enough guide to help him and and very compassionate and kind in a way that he understands you know we'll take it slow and we'll we'll get there so and even in the apocalypse, need, needing to know all that kind of stuff and know what people are going through. And like Frank even says to him being like, hey, I'm no whore. So if I'm going to do this, um, I'm going to stay for a while. Like, I don't want this to be like a one night stand kind of thing. Like we both get this out of our systems and I go about my ways. Like if we're going to do this, I would like to stay with you for a little while and like and try this out and see if we can help each other kind of thing. Uh, so Bill agrees and then they, they make love. Um, and then it immediately cuts to three years later in 2010, where Frank storms out of the house and they're fighting like a kind of like an old married couple. So I think that's like such a great jump cut, like to that really kind of tender moment when they're learning about each other and essentially, you know, the honeymoon period's over. Yeah. 
Yeah, you got those three years out of your way. So we're now in 2010, because uh, that took place in 2007, uh, those moments, which was uh, four years after the apocalypse. So now we're three years later, meaning we are uh, seven years later after the apocalypse in 2003. So Frank storms out of the house, is fighting well, this, with This Bill. is important as well, because I think I mentioned this on the just the kind of general outline, is that this is where I think some people might get a little bit caught up with the time jumps and especially when you're condensing a storyline that is going to be, you know, basically a one-off um, it, it, it might, I mean, the, 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 the title graphics are there. It lets you know that it that's does happening, help, but, but it might be jarring. And, and again, you mentioned it, I think as well, like, you know, having watched house of the dragon, like those, those, even though there's, there are fewer time jumps, I think, with, with with like there's only a couple, right? With House of the Dragon, like it's not, yeah, well, like, there's, there's not... quite a few. No, it's every episode jumps a couple years. Oh, like geez. it's it's a lot in Hot D, and it's I think it's harder to follow in Hot D than it is here. I mean, I mean, the there's Hot D in this too. The, yeah, there is. <laughs> um, and then uh, in Hot D, though, like they recast some people and don't recast other people. And like it becomes very confusing and they don't do the blatant like this is two years later. No, you have to get that through conversations of characters or how many children are there or how old the children are and stuff like that. Or I think this does a pretty good job. Like there was a point where I had to pause with with my wife and go like, oh, yeah, so this is before, you know, uh, you know, Joel and Ellie and Tess, but it's after the apocalypse. So Joel and Tess, like we had to kind of go through and like situate ourselves of where we were because of the time jumps. But I think the show does a good enough job to be like, you know, it doesn't put the year. I had to kind of do that math myself. It just says three years later. But if you just go, okay, the first was in three 2003, then later. 2007. Yeah. Then it's ten- 2010. So yeah, I do agree that the time jumps like, the show does a, an immaculate job of making you care about these people and just kind of know that they've gone through a lot during those years, much like the 20 years that Joel goes through before you meet up with him with uh, with Ellie and certain things like that. So I think it does a good enough job that you can fill in the gaps, right, of just like what they went through and things like that. So anyways, we're in 2010 now. Uh, Frank storms out of the house fighting with Bill like an old married couple. Uh, Frank tells bill like like i need you to let me to use some of these supplies to just make our neighborhood look nice like i can't just be for practical purposes essentially like if you only view the world in that way like what is there to live for essentially like you're just prepping for something bad to happen instead of enjoying what you have right like it's 10 years into this now right like or uh, seven years into this um and we have to enjoy some things. He's like, I want some paint. I want some supplies to go fix up uh, the boutique and some of the shops to make it look nice around here. So we Cut can kind grass, of, you um, know? yeah, like enjoy ourselves to make things look nice because like it can't just be me and you at home prepping for something awful to happen. And then there's more uh, to life than survival. Yes, exactly. And then Bill kind of goes back into his survivalist mode of saying like, we can't trust anyone. Uh, We can't trust the government. He's like the government are Nazis or, um, and then, uh, and then (laughs) Frank goes like, well, now they are. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he's like, they weren't always that. He's like, well, they are now (laughs) like basically like uh, they're fascists now. They weren't before kind of thing, but then that kind of, you know, was always there. Um, so yeah, like Frank just says, like, we need to do some more stuff here. And it, it kind of hit home for me even too of, 
of this pandemic era, right? And it's still taken me quite a while to get back to that point where Frank is, right? Like I'm more in a Bill spot than I am in a Frank spot. And like where it's like, you don't trust anyone. You don't want to go out into the world too often. You don't want like you, I'm finding myself struggling to like make plans with my wife to go on dates or, or go out and, and be with friends and family and stuff like that. And, and cause Frank also brings that up of being like, we need to make friends. It can't just be me and you. And like it, it we need to make friends and, and there are like no that, friends which, to be had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, so I, I kind of, I, it really hit home of like, you know, we're obviously not going through what they're going through in this show, but, um, I think even getting back to that, you know, normal, uh, is hard and it's hard to make that first step. Right. And like, I'm finding that it's not, you didn't necessarily lose friends during the pandemic or, uh, and things like that, but I'm finding myself, this really hit for me of going, yeah, you know what, there is more and, you know, you need to reach out to friends, you need to get together and have dinner, you need to go out and clean yourself up and clean up the things around you. So um thought that was very poignant and and, and beautiful. Um, so they're arguing about that. Frank says he wants to make friends and that he's been talking to a woman on the radio and that what? they want to work together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that too. Like, what? Um, so then it cuts to... After that argument, uh, Joel and Tess come to have dinner with Bill and Frank. So the woman on the radio that he was talking to is Tess. Uh, Frank wants to work with Tess and trade some supplies and have some things that they don't have. And basically, they can help each other because Bill and Frank have some things that Joel and Tess could use. And Joel and Tess have some things that uh, Bill and Frank can use. Uh, Bill clearly doesn't trust them at all. He has his gun on the table um, during the lunch that they're having in their front yard. Um, you can tell Frank's trying to have a good time and, and, and wants to make friends with Tess. Um, just nice to see that Anna Torv back right away, uh, um, in this flashback, she has a little bit more to do than those two episodes. So, um, and great to see her and Joel in a different place like this seven years after. So Joel's known Tess for quite a while, right? Because yeah. like at this point is, um, in 2010. So it's seven years after the, uh, outbreak day. You can tell that Joel is a bit younger. He's got not as much gray hair. He looks more like he did in the 2003 scenes than he does in the 2023 scenes because uh, that's still 13 years prior um, to the events that we see at, you know, with Joel and Ellie. Uh, so Frank wants to take Tess inside to show her some stuff. Bill doesn't like that at all. And, and, and I think partially he doesn't want people going in their house, but partially he doesn't want to have to make small talk with Joel. Like, I think he just doesn't want to have to. <laughs> well, maybe he doesn't know how to uh, really. Yeah. And also, I think maybe I think also Bill and Joel are a reflection of each other. And maybe Bill yes, sees and you'll see himself that quite a in bit. Joel and Joel vice versa. Yeah. So it's hard to talk to yourself, especially if you aren't really comfortable with yourself to begin with or have. Yeah, that's perfect. Of living in yourself. Like, it's just yeah. that's, that that's a great conversation I had with my wife after this episode of how. Bill and Joel specifically see each other and are very similar, but then learn from one another and like respect one another in like in ways that I think are unexpected. So, uh, you know, Bill doesn't like Joel. He doesn't want to talk to him. And Joel says like, Hey, we can help each other and like, get that gun out of my fucking face. Like if you want some help, like don't like, I'm not here to I, we're good people. I'm not here to rob you or anything like that. Um, but well, Bill also, still doesn't trust him. And he says, also, like, he I think I think that that Bill maybe does respect about Joel in even that you know dinner conversation 
is Joel using his, you know, um, construction, his, construction and landscaping, <laughs> you know, yeah. I sees the fence and kind of makes an assessment of how long it's it going to corrode and, in like a, a year or something. Yeah. Yeah. And what, and it won't what Joel you. can supply bill in terms of getting, you know, uh, new fencing. So like, and that, I love the line. Sorry. That being, going. well, that just being like, you know, an, an expert at something or somebody that has, you know, the wherewithal and, and know how to do something that I think Bill maybe respects in, in Joel, you know. And the first hints of going, uh, Joel stops himself from saying, protect yourself. And he says, protect both of you. And I think at that moment, you can start to tell that like Frank wants uh, bill wants to protect frank right like that is his purpose and like in that moment he joel gets to him because joel can see it right where he goes you care about that guy i know you might not care about yourself all that much or you care about surviving but he's like you care about that man that just went inside so i'm gonna get to you by saying do you want to protect it protect that man and basically says like if you want to you need to work with us because i can get you 10 spools of fence that won't corrode and will last you your entire oh he says both of your lives that was the line when he says both of your lives um and then he warns him of raiders and bill is very stubborn um he says like raiders are going to come one day and he's like it's not he's like they will find a way around their your traps and they will come for you basically he says fedra will never come back out here because they have no interest in going into like infected zones and stuff like that but like he's like raiders will come for your stuff um after that sequence, uh, they leave. He says this stuff as he's leaving. Uh, Joel and Tess are leaving. And then it flashes three more years later, where we are now in uh, 2013. Yeah, uh, Bill and Frank are now out for a run. Uh, Frank is in a little bit uh, better condition than Bill. Um, yeah. Bill is they, definitely sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> He's struggling. He's struggling a little bit. And I, I, I understand <laughs> as a, as a bigger dude, like that's probably a little bit out of shape. Like I, I, I appreciate that. And I understand I'm trying to do my best, but uh, Frank says he has a surprise for bill and then shows bill a garden um, with strawberries. Um, so he says he traded uh, a gun for some seeds. I love, uh, Bill's line of which gun. (laughs) uh, And then he's like, just a a small one, one, just a small one. Just it's, it's okay. Uh, and then they share this beautiful moment, uh, of, of having strawberries together. So, uh, well, this is where, this is where Bill admits to being afraid for the first time too, right? Like he's never shown fear before, but that was until he had Frank and now he's something to lose. Yeah. Something to lose. So like that is a moment, another moment of vulnerability and like, you know, um, Cause he apologizes that he's getting older than Frank. He's like, I'm older than you. Like I'm, I'm obviously aging faster than you are. So I, he's like, I'm, I'm sorry. And then that line that I mentioned, I opened this episode with, which is I was never afraid until you showed up. I thought it was one of the most romantic and beautiful lines I've heard. And I was like, was that in the game? I'm like, it wasn't in the game, but like, I'm just like, it's, perfect it's like so perfectly written and maybe it's been in other stories or media before but like the way that it's delivered in this sequence as they have these strawberries and like you see that they are in love with each other and they found each other and that you know bill being this guy who never probably had that and never was able to be his true self has something and then that line of just you know i was never afraid until you showed up he was doing that stuff not out of fear but out of just i think he knew he could 
almost like he prepped for this stuff to try to cope with other things that he just knew how to protect himself, but he didn't care about protecting himself. But like now he has something to lose. So, you know, he's now afraid. He wasn't afraid before, which I think is just absolutely beautiful. I love them eating Bill the strawberries. Bill is afraid. Ari Aster's next movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... I love them eating the strawberries and the laugh from Nick Offerman. He has such a great laugh and like um, he has this giggle that he's used in other stuff as well, but it's so perfect. And it comes back in that letter, which I think is so great. Um, He has this giggle to him that they're so elated because they haven't had strawberries in 10 years, right? Like imagine probably something that you really enjoyed um, and not having it for a decade and then you're able to have it again. I think is is much like that first meal that they shared together, like that, you know, that was only four years, but like 10 years of not having strawberries and then having strawberries together. Um, so then we cut to the middle of the night as they're sleeping uh, and uh, Bill's and Bill and Frank's traps start going off. You hear explosions, you hear. Some oh, and the, the cars shots. as well. You're- so in the gate. So now there's also cars kind of stacked up with the in front um, of the gate in front of the yeah the fences right because that wasn't yeah. there when um beforehand so it kind of feels like they've yeah. they fortified they've even the, more the gated community yeah i think because of joel saying raiders will come right so it shows yeah. that bill is listening to joel and learning from joel right they like, will and come wh- and and wants to protect frank so yeah middle of the night explosions are going off gunshots are being heard uh Frank wakes up. He sees that Bill is not in bed with him. Um, so he, he runs up, he gets a gun out of the, which will come back and a smoking gun there. Uh, the gun, uh, in the, in the drawer, uh, he pulls out, goes outside, sees Bill shooting at these Raiders who are basically both getting set on fire from some of the traps. Some of them are exploding. Like Bill is shooting at some of them. They're shooting back at him and Bill gets shot, uh, in the gut. Essentially, look, or in the abdomen kind of area. Yeah, off the, the lower side, abdomen. Yeah, um, on the on the side. Um, so then Frank takes him inside, is tending to his wound. Uh, Bill is then going like, "Listen to me, listen to me." Like, there's these supplies, these supplies. He's like, "You need to call Joel. Joel will help you." Like, uh, basically thinking he's about to die, right? And then saying like, "Listen, the traps will take care of the rest of them. You don't have to worry about everyone outside, but you need Joel. Joel will take care of you." And you can tell in that moment, like, Bill just wants Frank to be okay, right? Like, even though he's about to die, he just wants Frank to be okay. And I think that was so beautiful. And then like, um, he tells him all the contingency plans and yeah, to call Joel. And then you kind of, you you can see Frank not afraid in that moment. And that like, he just wants to care to Bill and like, is going, don't worry, don't worry. I got you. I got you basically. And like tending to his wound. But then it, you, at that moment, you think, you know, uh, it fades to black on, on Bill's face. And, um, in this moment for me, who's played the games, I go, Oh, I see what you guys are doing. You're kind of flipping it here. Like you're, you're going to kill Bill off and then you're going to have Frank alive. And that's who Joel and Ellie are going to come into contact with. Cause in the game, Frank has already passed away and, um, and you come into contact with Bill who helps you out. So I go as a, you know, this is kind of uh, playing with your expectations as an audience member, especially if you played the game uh, of going, Oh, I see what you're doing here, but then even flipping the script there and it comes back and we are now in 2023. Did you want to say something Eric? Yeah. I just quickly wanted to mention one thing we didn't, we didn't talk about when, um, uh, Joel and Tess visit as they're leaving 
Frank and Tess are talking about having uh, an alert system on the radio. And that's when oh, they're yeah. setting up um, the music. The 60s, from 70s, the 80s. 80s. Yeah. yeah. In terms of like when to um, prepare and, and like, you know, 80s means danger or and if things I have like new, that. Yeah. 70s is like, I have new supplies to trade if you want to trade. And then I forget what 60s was, right? But it's like all, all is okay or something. Um, yeah. They, they set up that, which was also foreshadowed in the, um, the first scenes with Ellie when Ellie cracks that code. Yeah. Um, in episode one. Yeah. So then we're now in 2023. Um, Cause we all think that bill is, is probably dead at this point. Um, but we see that Frank is sitting in a wheelchair on the uh, front steps essentially, but then bill comes out and bill survived. So bill is alive. They are now it's 10 years forward. We are now in the present. 2023. Um, yeah. 2023 um and at this point as an audience you kind of thought at least one of them survived because of the radio to eric's great point that he just brought up because it played the depeche mode song at the end of the first episode you assume bill and frank set that song out so they were alive um frank is sick uh bill comes out uh basically is taking care of him uh so it kind of flips the script right where bill apologize for getting older quicker to Frank, but then Frank is the one who ended up getting sick and becoming frail and that Bill had to take care of him. So uh, Bill is taking care of Frank at this point. He's helping him eat. Uh, even the little thing of like him uh, helping him get his pills, like uh, Nevis uh, really loved, like she just thought it was so great as like a caretaker. One, the yeah. Little, the round yeah. one of just knowing exactly what this person you care about so much needs to take, right? And you're there to help them every step of the way and they're not a burden to you. They're not anything like you, you will do this gladly. So um, you see that and it's really, you know, obviously sad that Frank's sick. Um, well, also now that they're much older, they're, they're, they're yeah. in old age makeup more so yeah. they're done up a little bit which more. i think is done really great on murray bartlett maybe yes. not as great on nick offerman but like still i think that initial jarring moment of that they have old age makeup on it subsides pretty quickly in my opinion like yeah they, the, they the look a lot better so than than a lot of people are caked in prosthetics and and like they're it's it's more subtle and again like i think murray bartlett like there's something about his physique and and the way that he's done that looks quite believable um where yeah. nick offerman doesn't look bad it just kind of looks like oh nick offerman and i think maybe it's just the facial hair um part of it where like it's just stuff. like the yeah. santa beer but it just kind of looks like nick offerman you know sat in a, a makeup chair for yeah for however long where where bartlett actually looks almost more aged up and i think maybe just because like bartlett kind of looks like he can play both young and old like and even just old, with yeah. like facial hair you know and so, i agree like, i agree completely yeah, yeah. Um, so they have this moment, um, in the living room where, um, or no, this is wait, they go up to bed and basically, yeah. uh, uh, Bill takes Frank out of his chair, puts him in his bed and they go to sleep. Um, the next morning, uh, Bill wakes up, Frank is out of bed somehow. Um, and in his chair, Frank makes a joke that it took him all night to do it and that he's exhausted. Um, it took him all night to get into the chair, but he wanted to be there when Bill woke up to kind of tell him something. So, uh, he tells Bill that he wants this to be his last day, or he's like, this is my last day. Essentially tells yeah. him like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm, I'm sick. I, I, this, this is my last day. So then it cuts to them downstairs on the, in the living room and Bill kind of not, 
he's coping with this kind of news that Frank um, tells him and he says like, well, what if we can find you a doctor from the quarantine zone or something like that? What if we can find someone who can come to the house and help you? And then Frank goes like, Bill, like even when everything was normal, he's like, what do you want? A magical MRI machine to like come out and like a, a MRI doctor to come to the house. He's like, he's like, there was no cure for what I have. Uh, even like when everything was normal. So what do you think now? Like what, what is that going to do? Right? Like I, I'm not going to be cured. Right. And I even think that's interesting of, you know, you're in this world where you can get sick and fungus can take you over, but you can still get just sick and yeah. and die. Right. Like it's, it's depressing as hell. Um, but it's, it, it's something, it comes for everyone, right? Like death comes to everyone and, and it's a sad thing, but um, we'll get to what was important in your life. Right. So, um, basically Frank goes like, listen, I want this to be my last day. I want it to be amazing. I want to have a perfect last day. I want you to go to the boutique with me. I want you to get dressed up. I'm going to pick your outfit. You're going to wear it no matter what, (laughs) like no matter if you want to wear it or not. (laughs) Yeah you're going to do this. He's like, we're going to get married. Cause they never got, they couldn't technically get married, I guess. Um, and I want you to cook me up an amazing meal and I want you to crush up all my pills and put it into my wine and just let me pass peace. Well, take me to bed and then, um, and then, and yeah, then, take me to bed. Yeah. Take me to bed. Just like but the he most always important did, part, me... start with the toast, toast in the morning. Yeah. He goes, yeah. yeah. He's like, you can start with this, make me some toast. And they kind of laugh together. And even him describing that is just already started getting me. And I was just like, Oh my God. Okay. When, when he Uh, says like, I've, I've had like, like the relationship even, you know, it's, it's, it's a lifetime for them, but, but the way that he talks about like, you know, we've had good days and bad days and, um, you know, like there's a lot of days where I've had more good days with you than bad days. And and that's what matters, right? Yeah. Like I've had bad days with you as well, right? Like, yeah. which we saw one of them when they were fighting, right? And then I think that's like any relationship, right? He's like, sometimes the negative aspects rise to the top and that's what you can remember. But like, um, he's like, I've had more good days than bad. And then Bill, Bill goes, like, I, I can't, I can't do that. Like, I can't, like he cares about him too much. And then Frank goes, do you love me? And he goes, yes. And he goes, love me the way I want you to. Yeah. And I thought that was so beautiful too. And I'm like, that is so beautiful. Like that thing of like that unconditional love, like, please, like, I I want this. Do you love me? Please give it to me. And like, um, and then that kicks off, uh, one of the most absolutely beautiful, gorgeous montages that I fucking sobbed dude like both times i watched this like a baby and i like i i'm i'll admit it like i'm a i cry not super easily but movies especially in tv shows like if it gets me it gets me um and i thought there was something just so beautiful about this guy who says love me the way that you that i want you to and then they this montage and this piece of music it's this, this is this the problem of, I had with the episode. This is my one criticism. Really? This one piece of music. It, I it, love it. It works. I love it. I love the song, uh, This Bitter Earth. It's the orchestral version. Um, uh, Diana Washington, okay. the, the original song. Oh, thank song. you. I, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. But Max Richter, uh, Richter um, did the, the, the orchestral version. The problem I have with it, and it's not necessarily the fault of, of the show, but it's been used so much 
in the last. Where have I seen it? Because I feel like so I've heard the it. The first place you probably heard it most recently, and when I say recently, I mean back in 2009, was Shutter Island. Shutter Island uses it um, okay. throughout with with DiCaprio's character, especially in the end. Um, then there was a couple other movies and TV shows that followed suit. I just they're not coming to mind, but Scorsese used that version a lot in Shutter Island. Okay, and- that's probably what I'm thinking of because like I knew when it, I, I I thought it was like I thought it was just a piece of the score of the show, and then um and then I go. I've heard this before. Like it almost felt like the leftovers or something I heard in like another HBO show as well. Right. And it's been used in some commercials um, too. And I just feel like it's, it's a, it's a beautiful song, but I feel like there needs to be a moratorium on it because it's been used so much. And it so just, they did it perfectly very, here. Don't use it anymore yes, because retire I, I got, it now. It's finished. I, thought, I, I think you did it so well in this. And I'm sure I forget uh, movies easily. So shutter Island, I, I, I didn't even click. So for me, uh, I, I didn't yeah i didn't realize like that it's been used in other things so it did hit yeah. me that hard and i feel like it's done so well here that i feel like yeah just don't use it anymore <laughs> like it's fine it, it's done so well here that i think like the music with and now i am remembering shutter island and it is coming back to me that song and that is exactly what i was thinking of um when i was like i've heard this song before um I think it's a beautiful piece of music, uh, beautifully used in this. Uh, I'm okay with it not being used in anything else because let it live in Shutter Island and in this. Um, so, uh, <laughs> it's pretty uh, but but again, I'm not yeah. even saying that Martin Scorsese has like you know dibs on it. I'm just saying that it was yeah. used in such a way in that movie that I think at that point I became aware of it because again, it's like the 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 actual song itself by Diana Washington is gorgeous like it it's such a a a beautiful like it's one of the most beautiful songs i've ever heard um and then you know max richter's version of it when he created the score and i don't know if it was for something in particular but like that version is amazing as well and just when scorsese used it in, in in a couple of moments in that film it kind of felt like okay like he's using it in a way that hasn't been done before and it kind of felt like it defined the, the the moment that I thought of when watching it, but then over the last decade or so, it has been used quite a bit. And it's like, it's, well, it's I never like got that song. It's the go to kind of like the moment of self reflection or loss yeah. or going through something that is going to end in a bittersweet moment. Um, that it's it's always used for fair. It feels like I will argue that. that I think you remember those things more than others do. Yeah. And I will, I will say that I think most people won't, won't think of that. Cause I, yeah. I definitely didn't. And I think that it's, it suits this scene really, really well in my opinion. And I feel like even with taking that song out of it and using something else, I think the images alone, like even if it's on mute, um, I think are it's just a beautiful montage of that perfect day, right? Of them getting ready and, and getting married and uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's such a good scene that you could replace that song with Nickelback's photograph and it would still be perfect. <laughs> still That's be how great. good yeah. this sequence the scene is. is. Yeah. yeah. So great point. And so, they get married and that's when it starts hitting me harder. Um, they have this beautiful day and then they go back and Frank is cooking. Um, sorry, Bill is cooking Frank uh, dinner. And again, I'm not cluing in at this point. And then when he comes out with the rabbit 
and then comes out with the bottle of wine, the same bottle of wine from the first day that they met and sits down, not across the table, but right beside him. Oh my God. I'm, I'm now a baby. I watched this with my wife and we're both fucking sobbing and just going, it's so beautiful. And like, it's so perfect. And like the, and the episode takes its time to get there and it earns all those moments, right? Like it's, it again, one of the most beautiful feature length kind of films I've seen in a post-apocalyptic love kind of thing. And you were like, um, wait, so this it, is a story about Joel and Ellie. And then Joel all of a sudden, and Ellie, I know. We'll get there though. Like, but that's amazing about it. You for, you're you yeah. so invested in these two characters for this episode that you kind of forget the, the through line of this story. Which like is, why, why you're seeing their story, right? Right. Yeah. Like there's a, a reason you're there. And so when he brings out the rabbit and the wine, it would have been greater if it was Arby's same, though. The, the, <laughs> yeah. When you see the, them having that same, that same meal as they first met, but he's now sitting right beside him. It's like, Oh my God. It's so, it's so good. Yeah. Um, and then basically they finish the meal. Uh, Bill comes out with another bottle of wine, a second bottle of wine and the bag of crushed up pills. Uh, he he pours the pills into Frank's glass of wine. He stirs them up, uh, hands them to Frank. Uh, Frank then chugs the glass of wine, and then uh, Bill's looking at him. And then he also chugs his glass of wine. And you know, if uh, Frank then realizes at this moment that oh, he goes, "Did you put pills in the in the bottle?" And then he's like, I did. Enough and to he's kill like, a horse. <laughs> yeah. <enough laughs> Which I actually thought that horse. was a funny line delivery again. Very dry uh, in, yeah. in terms of Nick so, Offerman's work. So then Frank goes like, I should be so angry at you right now, right? Because it's the person you love who is also going to kill themselves uh, because, you know, you are. And then he's like, but there's something like romantic about that. And then well, Bill's uh, saying that you're my life, right? Like I'm old. Yeah. So then Bill goes I, in. I live yes, for exactly. You know? So so he he goes, you were my purpose, which again, such a fucking it's so good. And then like he goes, listen, like I'm old too. Uh, I've lived a long life, and he's like, you you were the reason that I I wanted to live. Essentially, like it goes back to that line, like I I had nothing before you essentially. And you were my purpose, especially in this world. Like he's an old man. Like, what does he have to live for? Like, and and that will come back in that final note. And I want to talk about that a little bit, but, um, they laugh. Frank says it's a romantic and then they kind of embrace as Bill takes Frank, uh, to the downstairs bedroom and, uh, you know, closes the door and, uh, that kind of then flashes that ends Bill and Frank's story sobbing. Uh, you know, actually, you know, I sobbed at the dinner, but then in that final moment, it turned from like sobbing to just like feeling happy for them that they had that life and that they had that life together and that could end it on their own terms and they didn't have to be eaten by a clicker or a, or a runner or they kind of just, you know, found each other in such a shitty, you know, situation and we're able to have a good life together for 17 years right so i think it was about 17 years and like uh it it turned from sobbing to like being quite happy for them so then we now 
go back to Joel and Ellie. We took that hour long detour away from Joel and Ellie. And now it's all it's bookended by their stories. They arrived to Frank's gate. Joel already notices that something's probably up because he's like, this is weird. So puts in the code. He's able to enter uh, Frank's community, uh, Bill and Frank's community. Bill's gate. Sorry. What's Bill and Frank's gate at this point? Um, They go up to the front of the house and Joel can already, uh, Joel already knows something's wrong because the flowers are dead in their, uh, in the front of their house. And he knows that, you know, Frank probably wouldn't have let Bill kill these flowers if they were okay. Um, they enter Bill and Frank's home. Uh, they, you know, Joel already knows something's wrong. Ellie knows something's wrong. They go in, the food is rotten on the table. Um, Joel's starting to explore to see what happened. Um, Ellie's also exploring the house, much like Frank was exploring when he first entered their home. Uh, Ellie then finds a note with a key on top, what looks like to be a car key. Um, Joel comes back. Ellie is reading the note. Ellie goes, uh, it was to whomever, but probably Joel. And then I love her line of going, I felt like I fell under whomever. (laughs) Like I thought that was so great of like her being a reason to open the note. Um, So Joel is obviously distraught and the first question he goes are they dead and then she just nods her head yes and then he goes she goes do you want to read it or and he goes you can obviously tell that joel did care about them because he goes no you you read it well also losing uh, tess and then having these two people that he thought would be there and are no longer there it's like and and how much yes to that point of going and to that point where he's supposed to at this point he's still views Ellie sort of as cargo, right? And he was going to drop them off to Bill and Frank. So he's now in another situation where he doesn't know what the fuck to do, where he's like, I'm stuck with this person. And he's like, I thought I was dropping them off here and now they're gone. So um, Ellie reads the note. It's dated on August 29th, 2023. So it's been, I think, a few weeks at least, if not a month or something like that. So this is the future in terms of Um, our present day because we still haven't gotten to August of this year. So Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, So there's this note from from Bill. So Bill writes this note uh, to Joel. He assumes Joel would be the one that would come find them. Uh, I love the little detail that he says we left the window open so the house wouldn't Mm -hmm. smell. Um, I love the little thing. He makes a little joke and writes, he, 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 <laughs> like, I thought that was, um, was great. And such a Nick Offerman kind of thing. Like I, I love his laugh. He says he leaves him the bunker code, which is in re- the same as the gate code, but in reverse, uh, he says, I never liked you, but I respect you. Um, basically to Joel being like, I, I never liked you, but like you, we helped each other out. But so damn like, it. I respect I, I, you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, And then there's this beautiful quote from Frank that he's like, you know, I I didn't know what I had, but he's like, there was one person worth saving in all of this. And then he's like, we have a job to do to protect like the ones we love, basically. And And it goes back to what Tess said too, right? Yeah. Save who you can save. Save who you can save, but also just that like, if you have that one person in this world where nothing is meaning, like that nothing has meaning. Um, the meaning that you have is, are, the, are the people that you love. And Joel has lost everyone that he's loved. And, you know, Tommy's still hopefully out there, but um, 
you know, he's lost Tess, he's lost Sarah, you know, he's lost everything. And then he's, you know, I feel like that's going to be such an important thing that one line, like, and that's where I mean by this whole through line of this episode of feeling like it could be a complete detour that has nothing to do with Joel and Ellie's story other than Bill and Frank are now dead and, and Joel has to continue on. Like that's the, the easy way of explaining this, but I feel like their whole story is summed up in this one letter and that one line that he says of like, you know, there's that one person worth saving to you. That is your everything. And I feel like what else do you have in this world other than the people that you love? So, um, I think, uh, that's beautiful. And then like, it ends with, you know, Bill saying here, take my supplies. He's like, use it to keep Tess safe. And in that moment, like Ellie stops and makes Joel read the note, uh, and him read it for himself. Cause Ellie obviously still feels bad. Uh, and at that moment, I think Joel goes outside, has to take a breath and has to kind of catch his breath because he's kind of still emotional about Tess's passing. I think basically what Bill just said in that note um, leads to uh, Joel also thinking about Tess's last moments and her last basically dying wish was, you need to help this girl. You need to help her get to where she needs to go. I know she says you need to take her to Bill and Frank's, but Bill and Frank is also like, you need to care about the people you love, which is Tess and now maybe Ellie. Like it's not quite there, but you know, we've seen hints of it here and there. So I think that's such a great moment of him realizing that he needs to kind of like continue this to honor the people that he did love and maybe follow through with this. And this is where the children are men thing, I think, is also coming through a little bit as well yeah. again, where you have, you know, Clive Owen's character kind of, kind of being the reluctant hero and taking this, you know, young woman who's pregnant and and taking her to a place where they can possibly protect her and then also kind of figure out, well, you know, if if this person can and can reproduce and 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 give birth to a child again, maybe humanity has hope. But also you have to be skeptical along the way and the people that you kind of interact with and kind of doing it for the greater good, but at first kind of looking at it from the point of view is almost like an obligation. And I think yeah, that that's also sure. something where it's like children of men kind of comes in again, where it's like that kind of relationship is playing a, a, a key part of it. So. Oh, absolutely. Um, so Joel then goes into the garage. Uh, he finds Bill's truck, uh, but it needs a car battery. Uh, Joel then looks in the fridge. I don't know why it was in the fridge. Maybe it's so it doesn't overheat or something like that. I'm not entirely sure. Or maybe it was just storage at that point. Um, he finds a car battery that needs to charge in the in the refrigerator in the garage. Uh, so he goes inside um, to tell Ellie that he um, basically uh, he's going to take Ellie to his brother. So it's always that next step, right? Like he's never, he doesn't want to take her all the way, but he goes, I'll bring you to Tommy. Once we find Tommy, basically in that moment, Joel realizes like he needs to continue this and that he needs to honor what Tess asked him to do. He needs to help this girl out and not just leave her on her own. So he goes, listen, I'm going to go find my brother. You can come with me, but you have to follow these rules. Don't ask about my history. Don't at basically just do what I say. Don't bother me. Just do what I say. And at this moment, you can still tell that like, you know, yeah, there's not that relationship there, even though it's like kind of hinted that they're getting to know each other a little bit more. Um, basically, uh, they go downstairs um, and check out Bill's bunker. 
uh, Joel realizes that the playlist uh, started because if he didn't manually reset it every couple weeks, it would automatically play the 80s, I think, to like in- indicate that something went wrong, um, which I thought was a cool like you know callback to that. Um, they raid the bunker. There's all the guns on the wall. Ellie again asks for a gun and goes, look at how many there are. Like, can I just have one? Like, nope. um, and then, uh, you know, Joel still being that father figure being like, no, you can't have a gun. Um, so then they raid them. Uh, Ellie realizes there's hot water. So she's like, oh, like I'm taking a hot shower. And then she's like, I think you need to take one too. And goes and like walks out, which I thought was cute. Um, like of that Joel smells like garbage <laughs> um so they raid that they go um raid the bill's closet which i thought the women's clothing thing was interesting um like why bill would have women's clothing whether it was well, his, his mother's or was it yeah was it yeah i guess so but the t-shirt that ellie takes which is straight from the game doesn't look like a an, a woman's like a maybe it's from maybe vintage or something like that, like an older shirt. Well, I mean, there's the boutique Um, place as well, right? Maybe they just, that's true. Yeah. So maybe the storage for people coming for trading and like, yeah, yeah, like trading and stuff like that. That's a good point, Eric. Thank you. Um, then Ellie takes a shower. She changes into these clothes, which are straight from the video game. Uh, she finds the gun that we saw that Frank put in the drawer or got from the drawer that was there. So Ellie then takes the gun, stashes it in her backpack um joel walks out he tosses ellie some deodorant which i think is another first thing of like oh they're starting to get along a little bit more right like joel found some deodorant he's joking around he throws it to her and she goes nice and then like puts it on they walk out they go into bill's truck uh i think you forgot something that's that... important toilet paper what i forget she put she she did stocks they take up some? on the toilet paper. yeah yeah three oh uh, yeah and puts it in her yeah. i love that yeah thank you um because that goes back to the the you know tossing the magazine to her so like i love that kind of stuff of like she finds the tampon she finds toilet paper like stuff that would be very valuable kind of even though we take it for granted now right like in the in these moments like yeah, you could go without it, but it's much nicer if you have it, right? So, yeah. like, it's uh, those because roughing it is, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. fun. Um, so they go into the car, um, and Joel realizes that Ellie has never been in a vehicle before, and she's just like amazed by all of it. She's like, "It's like I'm in a spaceship," and like, um, so I, I love those little moments of like her not knowing what the seatbelt is, and her just kind of looking at all the mirrors and looking at everything and thinking it's like the most insane thing ever. Which I think is, again, goes back to that like just her sense of wonder in all of this as well. I think is is really hits home. No, absolutely. Um, and, I think, sorry, I think like when, yeah. when you get to that moment again, like you just appreciate like, you know, like, well, Joel again, maybe takes those things for granted, even though he's probably hasn't, you know, driven in a lot of cars in the last 20 years, but at least he kind of grew up in a period where he had, you know, the, the he makes a comment like it. it's a shitty Chevy. He's like, it's a shitty Chevy something, whatever, but he's like, it'll do or something yeah. like that. Cause like, she's so amazed by this thing. And even Joel has to go, well, this car is kind of a piece of shit, but it's fine. <laughs> like where Ellie's like, this is the coolest thing ever. And like Joel going like, eh, it's not, but it, it's great that you think so. Um, 
And then they pull out of Bill and Frank's home. They drive to the gate, which Joel opens up. Uh, Ellie, again, being curious about everything, is going through every nook and cranny of the car. She opens the glove box. She finds the Linda Ronstadt um, uh, cassette tape. And Joel's like, stop touching stuff. Like, just put it back. And then Ellie doesn't listen to him, uh, which I think is great, and then puts the tape uh, into and then Joel actually sees what it is and he's like, Oh no, 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 this is actually a good one. Uh, he's like, Do you know this song? And Ellie's like, The fuck would I know who Linda Ronstan is? <laughs> like, and then, uh, uh, and then Long Long Time plays as they, um, drive they're off to uh, Wyoming, uh, Wyoming, yeah, which is where Tommy, uh, supposedly is. And then Long Long Time plays over the credits, which I think is perfect. And, and that perfect final shot of the open window kind of oh my God, slowly yeah. kind of zooming and the or the dolly and it's just like it's just like a perfect as you see joel and ellie walk away yeah or drive away yeah it's yeah sorry they're driving drive away. away yeah yeah but it's just like it is like a perfect final shot like it's just it's so beautifully done and kind of is like you're leaving this moment now but it's there you know and it will always yeah and just the compassion that bill yeah the the compassion bill found too right like i don't know if pre Frank bill would have opened the window when he was committing suicide at the house. Right. Like yeah. if he did, if he did it, like, I think that's just such a perfect thing of like, you know, he cared about Joel. He cared about Frank. He learned to grow and love. And like, I think that's what all of this is about. And I think is going to be a huge through line in, in this series is like, you know, protect the people you love and, and learn from, you know, all these people, the like so far, this is the first kind of side set of characters we, we, you know, learn about and, and know. And we said this in our um, spoiler free review that like they give such depth and such great, like, you know, you know, character moments from these people, but it ultimately is Joel and Ellie's story. And I think even though you take this whole episode to kind of focus on two other characters that we didn't know before this episode, we heard, you know, in two episodes, heard their names and stuff like that. Um, but it ultimately comes back and it's all building character for Joel and Ellie, specifically Joel, a little bit to Ellie, but like it, it really still moves their story forward and their character development forward, even though we spent an entire episode only bookended by them and with different characters. So I think that's like a testament to how good this show is that it didn't feel like this detour that, you know, a lot of times episodes like this, you could go, you don't need to watch this episode or something like that. Right. Like it doesn't advance the plot. It's all filler, much. right? It's Yeah. But I do think that this does advance the plot, right? Like, I really do that final note. I, I was like, you know, Bill learned from Joel and Joel learned from Bill. They were stubborn as hell. They didn't love each other, but they realized something in each other. And I think that they learned from one another and learned to love and, and learn that there is something worth fighting for, essentially, in this, uh, in this world. So I thought, again... What a great episode of television. I think one of my favorite episodes of TV I've seen in a long time, uh, a memorable one that I will be thinking about and wanting to revisit for quite, for a long, long time, Eric, <laughs> for a long, long yes. time. Yes. Um, way to say it. I said this, I said this before, but like, I know we're very early in the year, but Eric and I are mostly film critics. <laughs> we're still at the beginning of the year. <laughs> and, oh, I know, but I'm going to say it now. It's like when I saw everything everywhere all at once last year, um, where I'm like, it, 
this is a contender that I will be that guy who does the Twin Peaks the Return thing where like I could put the entire season of Last of Us on my best films of the year, but that feels like kind of a cheat, right? Like it's not it, it, it is a movie like and it's telling one story, but I still feel like it's very episodic. Um serialized obviously, but like I this episode of television, it's almost feature length. It's 120 minutes almost, right? And like, um, sorry, not 120 minutes, one hour and 20 minutes. Um, and I think it's like a near perfect like film almost. And I, um, I might throw it in my best films of the year at the end of the year, but it's very early, very early, very early. It's it's amazing, and 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 it's one of those things where it's again like I, I think like just thinking about Nick Offerman's career as well, just where he is um, at currently, like he's picking some really interesting projects and like he's, he was, he was so good on, on devs. And I feel like more people should go back and watch that. And again, you know, we've talked about Alex Garland a lot in, in, in reviewing this in terms of his influence being or coming from, I forgot how close that thing from annihilation looked. I know (laughs) someone shared the screenshots beside each other. I'm like, Oh, that's like, yeah, one for the one. pool scene is just like literally like he and, and even just like the idea of Alex Garland kind of like setting his locations in kind of isolated areas where you have sort of a tech fortress kind of in the middle of nature and nature and tech kind of colliding in in a, in a kind of graphic kind of depiction. Um, but thinking about like both Nick Offerman and Aubrey Plaza post parks and rec i think they're the two that chris pratt even well less chris i agree with i I know what you're saying i just mean like the people who have succeeded after sure i i'm what i'm different different types of success i think they're uh, yeah but what i'm i'm not even saying success i'm saying i think offerman and plaza are choosing the most interesting career trajectories and and picking projects that are kind of more challenging and 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 fascinating for them as actors and showing because Again, like I think both are are good, and when you look at both of them in, in in their performances on that show, it's like they're great for what they they're doing. But you didn't necessarily think, oh, this would lead to them becoming kind of eclectic actors and showing character actors, range. Yeah. I mean, you look at like what Plaza's been doing in the last little bit with you know Black Bear and and Emily the Criminal last year, and even you know uh, uh, you know with 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 other shows and, 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 and movies, like it kind of feels like, again, you wouldn't expect this from them. And they're the ones that have taken those risks in order to redefine their careers, you know? And, and, and again, like, I think, you know, like even Adam Scott, I, I really think he's wonderful in terms of oh, with playing, severance. Yeah. You know, it, but, but Adam Scott's one of those guys who was great before, even parks and rec and he was great at playing yeah. a slimy asshole um so like there was there's something there with with i think plaza and offerman specifically that they're really picking sort of off the beaten path choices as as actors and you're seeing them in a way that like i, I feel i wonder if there were actors that were in shows from the past that if given the opportunity to really kind of venture out would have had redefining or reinventions of their own careers. Because again, like, it's just like, I would have never expected Nick Offerman and, and 
Aubrey Plaza to be as versatile uh, of actors based on Parks and Rec, but they have done Mm -hmm. some incredible work and really have picked some interesting roles that have elevated their profile, but kind of, you know, helped other filmmakers kind of come into their own. And so, yeah, it's, it's always exciting to see people like that kind of, you know, make their way through film and television. As someone who Parks and Rec is maybe my favorite sitcom of all time. Like I, I was obsessed with Parks and Recreation. Um, I liked it more than, you know, the shows it was imitating of, it was really originally kind of an office spinoff and things like that, where, um, I, I love Parks and Recreation. I love that entire cast. I mean, everyone's, I mean, Aziz Ansari has done interesting things like that whole cast, um, has, has, you know, in their own ways been very successful after, uh, after that show. And I completely agree with you with Nick Offerman and, and Aubrey Plaza taking the most interesting things. I mean, Aziz doing, uh, the Netflix series, fuck my face. I didn't realize good, good timing. We're about to wrap this episode up. <laughs> so pardon for the fire alarm, everyone <laughs> attention, attention. They're doing fire testing. Uh, we'll wrap this episode now. Uh, thank you all uh, for listening or watching. Uh, we really, really do appreciate it. I'll just talk over this. Can you hear me or are you distracted? I can hear you. No, no, it's alarm. fine. It's all good. Um, Is Fedra okay, coming thank, to get thanks, you? Thanks, man. Yeah, Fedra's coming, everyone. Um, Thank you all for listening or watching. We really, really do appreciate it. If you could drop us a like or review on uh, podcast services, uh, we'd really, really appreciate that. Go check out our other shows, Untitled Movie Reviews and Untitled Movie Podcast. We have tons of film and television reviews as well as kind of uh, you know long podcasts about the entertainment industry and about <laughs> no about other things. Fedra's coming. All right, we'll wrap this episode. Remember, each Sunday, 10 p.m. Eastern, we will be here for a recap review and discussion of the latest episode of the last of us on HBO. I'm loving this. This was one of the best episodes of TV in a long time. Uh, I think we'll be talking about this episode for a long time and into television award season next season. I hope so. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, until next time, I'm Matt Rohrbeck. Follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. You can follow Eric on all those social medias at EM6211. And until next time, I'm thinking Arby's. Yeah.